You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. Thank you. Thank you very much. So welcome. Welcome. Um, let me just do, uh, I'm Phil Klein. Let me do a couple quick introductions just because um, we all know that you need to have a great team. So I just want to introduce a few important people to me. Um, and the first is uh, my team member and wife, uh, Grace Klein. So Miss Grace and Angela Engel, who's Philip's wife, but Angela um, in her own right keeps our whole organization working in the right direction. She coordinates with all of our partners and stuff. So, and last but not least, Philip Engel. Um, Philip is, I like to say, is my leadership legacy. Um, he's the person I'm chosen to pour into and develop for the next generation and helps me every day. I learn from him and um, we do uh, this together and life together. And, um, our mission is to help churches. Um, so, so thank you. Let me open with a quick prayer. Father God, that uh, you would teach us something today, Lord, that you would, um, these would be your thoughts, your words. They're your systems. They're the things that were birthed out of your heart to help us um, develop and run healthy organizations and to grow and prosper your church. So help us do that well. Um, and that it would be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we keep going on, I just have to like level set for you. This is Phil Klein at, at a 10. Like, he's pumped right now to be here, okay? So, like, he's been going through this. He's excited for this. Just so you know, there's no place he'd rather be. So, just kind of help level set. That's, that's his dynamic range here. Yeah, so this is the, um, <laughs> this is the, this is super excited. It really this is. is. When I'm laid back, you you know, it'd be like sleeping up here. No, I am super excited inside, um, and because we take this really seriously, like I've I've given my life to this. God built me to do this, and a couple things I wanted to say. One is I'm grateful that you're here. I'm honored that you're here, um, and you do the hardest thing there is to do, but it's the most important thing there is to do, which is raising God's church. Right. Um, my, everybody on my team is part of a life-giving church. Everybody on my team, including myself, has been on team at a church um, and understands how hard this really is because it would be pompous for us to get up here, like whether I'm a business guy or whatever, and I spent 30 years doing that, but um, to get up here and go, this is what you need to do. So just hear our heart is to help you. We don't have a ministry. Our ministry is your ministry. So um, just know this will be a conversation. It's also the, you've gotten a lot of inspiration. This is the perspiration part of the program. So seriously, because we want this to be very, it's going to be principle-based, but also be very practical. The, the goal here is that you could go home, you know, when you go home, that you could build out your organizational structure and start working through it. So that's literally the goal of the day is to set a structure that enables sustainable growth, yeah, not good. just the principles, but the the process and the practical application as well. Yeah, it's good. Let's get a quick um, view. Help This helps us help you. Yeah. Who all is in the room? So if you wouldn't mind, if you're a lead pastor, uh, raise your hand. Let us know you're in here. Awesome. All right, how about a, like a, a lead team or executive team members? Okay, great. Wow. Um, staff? 
That's not executive team, perfect. Come on. And then vol- volunteers. You volunteered? Come on. Got it. Yes. All right. Great. That's awesome. You're uh, treated like staff. I guarantee it. Probably. That's awesome. So, so good to be here. So that's who we are. That's who you are. Now, am I supposed to? <laughs> am I supposed to be here? Right. So I have two questions. So we, you know, feel free to run out of the room if you can't answer these questions. So the first question is. Is your current structure providing the result you're looking for? If the answer is no, it's not, you should be here. Second, second question is, is your current structure scalable for future growth or a product of filling your immediate seats with people that are immediately available? All right. How do you, what do you, what do you really mean? <laughs> now we see that so often as just saying, Hey, here's where I'm at and here's what I need. So here's what I'm going to build for what I need right now. And that obviously, it, it creates the tension that you wrestle with day in and day out is how does this grow as I grow? Or how, if I, if I want to make a shift, um, how, how stuck in cement is this? Because I'm just building around what we need for right now versus where we're headed. Yeah, that's great. So should we just jump yeah, in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we're going to jump in, go through it, and then do Q&A, try to leave plenty of time for for Q&A. So this is the five design principles for a sustainable and scalable leadership structure. So we're going to give you five. Each one, I'll kind of give you the principle and Philip's going to give you some of the practical and there's some slides that go along with it. Um, So let's jump in. So number one, design based on who you are. So, you know, which structure should I use? We get I get asked that question, we get asked that question a lot, and I say, let's talk about who you are. Let's talk about your leadership strengths. What are your leadership strengths? Are you naturally lean towards the administrative side? Do you naturally, are you a creative? Are you organized? Are you more of a flow person? You know, that's going to start to inform us because there are a bunch of different leadership structures out there, especially when we're talking about the top if you will, kind of the people that would report to you directly wherever you're at in in the leadership um, lineup. But, you know, who are you and what are you naturally is going to point us in the direction of whether you should have more direct reports, less direct reports, because it depends who you are. If you're highly administrative, you love developing people one-on-one, you should have a bigger, you you might want to have a bigger team with more functional people. If you're not, we might want to limit it to two or three or four people. So it's about who you are. There's no such thing. There's, excuse me, there's no such thing as a structure that works for everybody. We've got to at least um, uh, contextualize it. Yeah, and I would say these principles are interdependent. So as we begin to look at some of the practical components, we're saying, hey, if you don't uh, know exactly where you are, there's a good rule of thumb that it's, um, the impact and the power, the, I would say the philosophy is to build through a team versus building through one individual. So the model that we'll kind of build on and use as a, as a stock model uh, is kind of, uh, is based upon that, is to say, okay, here are three areas to say, I'm going to build through a leadership team. And we'll begin to um, unpack why this is the case, but you have your operations, it's more of your day-to-day, your programming, which is more of your 
or your creative, and then your ministries fall under there. This is at a single location, and the idea here, too, is from the beginning, you begin to scale from here. So we'll, we'll kind of show how you can build, build around that. But the idea, again, is if you don't necessarily know, um, hey, I want to I work through one person or nine people or, you know, I, I would say... This is my rule of thumb. If I could be half as good as Jesus, I'd be doing great. So no more than six. <laughs> Probably a good principle. Half as good as perfection. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Let's all go right. To number two. two. All right. So the second one is design around the around the position, not the person. I think this is one of the most prevalent things that we see um, as we're working with teams and with leaders. We tend, especially in the beginning, um, to design around the person. So you have some, and if you design around the person, you'll make it very difficult to replace them or move them. Because if you brought me on and you've designed a bunch of things that, you remember in Sesame Street, kind of one of these things is not like the other, right? So it's like you have all these parts. So let's say you have somebody who's great at finance, park the parking lot and they have a passion for outreach. So we say, we're going to give you those three things. When I go to move that person or shift and as we're scaling and we have to take on, you know, more locations or more things, it's really difficult. Or if that person leaves to say, Hey, we're putting it, we're putting, I almost said an ad in the paper that shows how long, um, we put something online on the internet. Um, and, uh, you know, you put a, put an ad in that says, you know, looking for a finance parking and outreach person. It's like, it's just, it becomes very difficult and you are sandwiched into an organizational chart that makes it very difficult to be flexible, which is one of the things you all know we need to do and scale. Yeah. I think what happens is like, why, why would anybody create a position for those three things? They don't naturally align with each other, but that's not how we grow. We tend to grow organically over time. And something comes up or we go somewhere and we're inspired by something saying, we should take that back. We should do this. Who's willing to do it? Well, I like doing that stuff or I think that'll work for me. And then all of a sudden you begin to see that their resume is built with six different things that don't align at all. And then we lose that person and it's like, oh boy. Okay, how do we fill this, this role? Or we have to divide it up, and now what one person is doing, we have to bring in three people to do that, that same job. Yeah. So we begin to find, I would say, this is the effects of a flat organization. Because we don't have necessarily a plan in place or a, or a structure in place, we grow organically. And growing organically, it doesn't make sense if there's six of us and we add one more. Why would you report underneath and not be at the table? So you could just pull it to the table, right? And then over time, we realize, man, there's a lot of people at this table. I don't know if we should do this. Let's reorder, you know? And then it's like, bomb was just dropped in the middle of the, in the room. Yeah. So when we, the problem you begin to see is, okay, if I lose that person, it feels like just Swiss cheese, right? So the practical step of this is beginning to align ministries and roles under natural and scalable positions. So we're saying, okay, operations, this is more of the day-to-day, Monday through Friday, uh, more administrative roles, responsibilities. So overseeing finance facilities, admin, HR, programming, again, worship, production, creative. And now ministries begin to fall underneath this one arm. And we're, you're probably feeling like, man, that's a lot for one person to, to carry and handle. Uh, we'll talk about how this 
this mindset is again these all connect together. Um, but before we move on, the other thing I think is this principle is talking about designing around the position and not a person. When you hire, you want to hire for the place and not the position. Okay, so that feels a little juxtaposed that we're building around these positions and we're aligning them, but when we hire, we hire for the house. That you're you're committed to who we are as a ministry. Because how many of you, even two years into when when you came on staff, are still doing the same role that you did two years ago? That oftentimes isn't the case. So we're saying, I don't want to hire you for a position because that position may change. We we got to hire for the house to say, hey, I'm loyal. I want to make sure that this mission is accomplished. So put me in whatever role you need me in. Right. So that's part of part of the process. Right. That's great. Good stuff. So number three. Number three, people are like, I don't know if he's serious or not. I know. I'm not near as serious as I seem. Um, so number three, design for the future, adapt for the present, right? So first, just, first off, I feel like it's a little kind of cold. I don't know if it's the distance or the light. You get, is, this, is this working? Is this helping? Okay. 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 And we're not worried. It's not an ego thing. We just right. want to make sure, like, our job is done when you guys feel like you've got something okay. you, you okay. can use. For sure. Um, so, so design for the future, adapt for the present. Meaning, if I design my situation that I have now with the people I have, not only the staff I have, the volunteers I have, the team I have, but also the church that I have, meaning I'm at 75 people or 150 people or 3,000, whatever my number is. If I, if I went home today, did all that, the moment I set my pen down or put the mouse mouse down, I'm behind because I've designed for today and tomorrow comes and I'm already not in my projective. So if you have any trajectory, you need to get out ahead of that and say, I'm going to design for tomorrow and implement today. So I'm going to design. People say, well, how many days, weeks, or months? I would say, you know, at least depending on your pace, 18 to 24 months out, you want to have an org chart and there are going to be some empty boxes on that that you know you're not going to fill for six months or nine months or 12 months but if they're not there you don't know even to what people you're going to be kind of looking for and starting to get a feel for you don't you know people don't know where we're going next they just know what I do today and the people that are around me and all of a sudden we need to make a change we all get in the room and try to figure it out so it's very important to be kind of ahead of that um Curve. I think the other, um, so it's a grow into it mentality, if, if you will. And you shouldn't be intimidated because there's empty boxes on the chart. Those are just placeholders to let you know what the next steps are. Yeah, it's kind of like a phased approach, too, because you're, you're going to grow in phases. And there's natural barriers as well. And so you can kind of understand, hey, for this next phase, here's what we're looking at. Here's where we're headed. It actually gives you... Uh, a strategy when it comes to hiring, when it comes to leadership development, it really begins to help you drive a lot more than just this chart that's in a file that we looked at six months ago. You know, and now we should probably dust that off when we get a new hire. You know, the person we've already hired before we even looked at the org chart of where they should fit. So oftentimes, this this really becomes a strategy and approach when we grow yeah. to figure out okay, where where does it fit? Yeah, and understand this is not the end goal of this is not to have something where somebody says, where's your org chart? And you 
you know, you pull this out and you go, this is our structure. The structure exists so people know what lane they're in, what their relationships are, up, down, and sideways, so they can more quickly and more effectively do the things that they're trying to do to drive ministry to connect people to God. So it's a practical process that ultimately ends up with a document or, you know, on a file somewhere. But that's just a, that is the reference point for the system. But it's not that it goes in the drawer and you pull it out again. It's, this is a working process so people understand. Understanding my role is less than half the battle. I also have to understand when you plunk me in the middle of the team what my relationships are, what my reporting structure is, what my communication is. You know, so um, we're not strangers. We're on a team, which means we have to know relative where our standards are and where they fall between us, right? It's like uh, when you take a group photo, the first thing that we all do when we see that group photo is we look for ourselves. And that's the same thing with your team is when you roll something like this out, they, they look and they say, where do I fit? And how do I belong? How do I interact, as, as Phil was mentioning, with everybody else? Because now they understand and are beginning to understand that level uh, of which they lead and the oversight in which they have. Um, so here, we'll, we'll build it out a little bit more. And again, there's nothing added except for these plus ones. This is building with this, this future model in mind of saying, okay, we still have the org structure. Now we're going to overlay who we are right now. And we call this a plus one principle. The plus one principle is saying, I've got three of my leaders, Sam, the operations director, Patrick, and I've got three of those leaders underneath me, but there's one area that I'm still going to hang on to. That's going to be my plus one. My primary is going to be operations, but for a season, my plus one is going to be finances. By helping somebody understand that early, they begin to realize, I want you in this role long term. This role down here is temporary, and this is your number one priority to raise up and replace yourself there. That's how they have to understand that you're not overseeing this, both of these areas, until Jesus comes home. I need you at the highest level of leadership possible. And this begins to, to take into effect that people really begin to understand when you go multi site, this does scale for multi site, we can talk about that after. They begin to understand, hey, I'm going to have a plus one. I'm going to have a central responsibility and I have a location responsibility. If you start talking about those things early, it begins to be a part of your culture as you scale and as you grow. And that kind of reminded me as we were talking about talking about things early. When we say, hey, we want to, um, for, for number two, when we say, hey, we want to design around the position and not the person. What I think is really important to communicate to your team is we want to, we're going to build beside you, or we're going to build below you, but if we have to, we'll build above you. Because this is all tied to you coming and being a part of the house, playing your role at the level that you're at. We want that, and we really do want to grow below you. We hope that your capacity, we haven't met your capacity already, but you'll grow as the organization grows so that we can build below you. Sometimes we'll bring in somebody that's going to be your counterpart, and they're going to work beside you. But if we have to, we're going to build above you. And saying that when there's somebody that's not in the pipeline to hire is a lot easier than saying that when you hired somebody that is now going to be their direct report, yet they've been on staff for two years. Right? There's a lot of emotion tied into that. So just by saying that regularly and saying that often, they begin to understand, hey, I'm going to hold all of it with with an open, open hand. Yeah, that's so good. All right. Cooking with gas. Number four. Number four. Let's do it. Number four. Magic number four. 
design with the desire to go deep. Okay? So when you go deep, you're adding people under existing structure versus adding new arms to the organization. I think we start to widen out and say, well, let's put that up there. Let's put that up there. And what we end up with is this something that's too wide really to, to manage. And we really need to stack people and fight for simplicity. And I know that um, not long ago, there was this whole thing kind of started in Silicon Valley about like flat organizations are awesome. These teams without leaders and all that stuff. And some of that is helpful. Some of it's not. Some of it's kind of um, great to write in leadership books about. So people buy books. But um, at the end of the day, um, organizational structures, you can't end up because if you if you string that theory out, if you will, then you're going to have 42 people on your lead team at some point. So they have to start filing in under other people. You have to fight for simplicity and lay a foundation for a leadership pipeline. So it's a cascade effect, meaning it sets up a development structure, meaning I, my accountability and responsibility is not to develop my whole team. Meaning if I'm the leader of the organization or if I'm on the lead team, let's just say there's four or five leaders or levels of leadership below you. That's a, a daunting task. It's one you won't succeed in. It's one that will stress you out and keep you awake at night. But if, if I'm really good and really focused on my team, the five, six, seven people that report to me and I develop them and they fully understand and know that their job is to develop the leaders below them, then it becomes a cascade effect and all I got to do is focus. It doesn't mean you're never talking to anybody else about development. It doesn't mean you don't fill rooms sometimes with people from all levels. It just means your immediate responsibility and focus is to develop. My job is to develop Philip and my direct team and somebody that reports to Philip, he will develop them, right? So um, it develops and gives you a cascade effect. Yeah, as I alluded to earlier, is that as you grow it becomes more complex. So think about your house. The longer you're in your house, the more stuff you accumulate and that stuff finds a place. But if I were to come into your house and I were to look at a different, a certain room, I'd be like, why is that here? Oh, well, that's where that goes, right? Like, and it makes sense to you, but it may not make sense to somebody else. So we don't think about it until we introduce somebody new into our organization. They're like, wait, why? I don't understand why that's here. So it always grows into complexities. So that's why we have to fight for that simplicity because simplicity is easily replicable. Okay, so when you go to a new location where you begin to say, hey, we're going to bring somebody in and we want them to speak the language that we speak, they easily understand and can embrace the mindset, the language that we have all around this idea of saying, hey, we want to go deep here versus going wide. And the first... Um, Casualty to going wide versus deep is development. Because the more people that I have report directly to me, the less likely that I am to develop them all intentionally. Instead, I become a fireman, right? Firewoman. That works? Thank you. You're welcome. So good at that. So it's because here's what happens the most (laughs) urgent need I'm going to address first. Put that fire out, next fire. Okay, that fire's out, okay, next fire, next fire, next fire, next fire. And then I got to come all the way back around and say, okay, now that fire started again. And if you're a lead pastor, you're saying, okay, fire, fire, fire. Oh, I got to preach a sermon. Oh, yeah, they come every Sunday. Fire, fire, fire. And then just, I can't keep doing this. I got to hire an executive pastor. And we don't fix the problem. We just push the problem down one layer. 
right? So then they're saying, fire, 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 thank God I don't write a sermon, fire, 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 right? So that's, that begins the cycle that we're not solving the problem, we're just pushing it down. So here's an example of how this works. The white or new additions, with, with going deep in mind, again, because we're phasing this out, maybe I have an approach of what I'm going to do, is I look over here and say, okay, well, data, the database, managing the data, uh, getting metrics and reporting, that becomes really, really important at a certain phase, so we're going to add that. Uh, maybe IT becomes, uh, you have the infrastructure now. Some might put IT over here in operations. Again, it's flexible because you might say, hey, we want communications under programming. We're not getting so wide that it's unmanageable because we have great leaders that are leading leaders that are leading teams of leaders because we're allowed to develop. We've given ourselves margin to develop. This is the one where I think you can embrace and really fully understand the idea of going deep. So we had kids and we had students lined up with groups and outreach. But as we grow, this is the time where we're going to build above. And then we're going to, so we're going to get somebody in to build above and oversee kids and students. And then experience. Our guest experience teams, they, they, they group past six. So we had have, we have parking, we had greeting, we had ushers, we had hospitality, we had growth track. And just because it's one of the fundamental things doesn't necessarily mean it has to be at the top of your organization. Just slip that in there. Um, we could talk about that in a Q&A. Um, so maybe my teams get beyond six. So now I'm going to say, well, I'm going to create a campus support because I'm now adding um, load-in, load-out. I'm adding uh, security, medics, uh, dream team headquarters, what, whatever you may create. So now I need somebody to oversee those two areas that create the experience and this could potentially be your <clears throat> next campus pastor. <clears throat> so uh, you're beginning with, again, a bigger picture in mind. I'm creating development positions that are overseeing leaders, that are overseeing teams of leaders. And by doing that, again, our mentality of development begins to, to look a little different than I need a really great kids person. I need a really great students person. I need a really great leader that is passionate about leading leaders, that leads teams of leaders, that loves or could love kids, students. Because at the lowest level, I definitely want you to be passionate about kids. I definitely want you to be passionate about students. I definitely want you to be passionate about groups. But up here, I need you to lead leaders that lead teams of leaders. And that's transferable. Um, so. Yeah, I think another thing that is almost um, a problem that happens it almost happens almost every time as we start, especially we start off when we're small and we have a team of people that have joined with us, oftentimes friends, close friends, lifelong relationships that start the church or are going to come in and re- revitalize the church or whatever, whatever phase or whatever size or whatever mission you're on. So we have a team. And because we're like, oh, there's only six of us or three of us or five of us or eight of us, it's very flat and we treat it that way. We don't speak to it. We don't define what it really is. We just do it. And then guess what happens? Three years, no magic number, three years down the road, we've grown. We now have like a small lead team and we have other people and the original, let's say eight people that were on the team. One of them is the executive pastor. One of them is in charge of loading and load out. Right. And those are both noble things to do, but they're very different levels, right? 
Well, the person usually that's doing load in and load out was like, hey, I used to sit in those meetings. I used to be with pastor. I used to, well, like you might know ahead of time kind of what level people are really having to operate in, but they're all just doing it together. What would happen if you actually defined it, put it visually, talked through it, said this is where we're going, this is where we're at, and show people in the boxes that they're really in day one. That way you're not, I was picking on load in, load out, because it's like that's the hard, it's not hard to have a conversation with the person that ends up on the lead team or the executive. That's not a hard conversation. Guess what? You know, you are what you are, you're in the lead team, but there's always half of that team that's that there can be offenses, there can be confusion. So like literally all you have to do is define it up front, make it clear what it really is. And it's going to look and operate fine, just like it would have if you didn't say anything. But people know where I'm really at and where I'm really going. Um, right. And it's not important or not important, but it's just this is the way the way we're really doing it. And that can prevent um, a lot of issues. And quite frankly, we see a lot of like lifelong friendships break apart like that with something that could just be really done up front. So you're probably asking, like, that makes sense. This looks like great staff, high-level volunteer um, structure. But what about below this, Mm. to the the ground level? And this is, I think, what you're beginning to allude to is that we have to define the lane of leadership at each level. So we're going to look at here, it's kind of a sub-point of point four, is the second half of this org structure is that from the top all the way down, we're, we're saying that each level has a lane and we have to define each of those levels so that when you say, hey, kids ministry, give me your uh, level of leadership. Go from a volunteer, dream team, door holder, team member, whatever you want to call it, begin to work up. And they're like, oh, we have uh, team members and we have room leaders and then we have service leaders and then we have coordinators and then we have, uh, okay, that's great. Okay, now groups. Well, we have we have group leaders and we have mentors, mentors have coaches, demographic leaders. Okay, that's great. Now let's go to students. Kind of get where we're going here. Or we can, I've got my team and then I've got my, my captain and my coach and my coordinator and my director and my supreme emperor. You know, like, and you begin to, to compare those and you realize nobody's level of leadership is equal or consistent with each other. So what we're really doing, again, is we're just kind of backfilling roles and responsibilities versus really setting the level of leadership that we need at each level, the, the lane of leadership at each level. Do you want to talk any about some of these and a bit of the descriptions of and why to define those? Yeah, you do that piece and I'll, I'll chime in and feel like you'll be more organized okay. about it. <laughs> so looking at it or saying, hey, okay, we've got this entry level layer, volunteers, what we recommend is doing a one word or one sentence description just to begin, just to get you started. Obviously, there's going to be a little bit more of a robust expectations for leaders and volunteers at each of those levels. But this I, this is like, hey, when I sit down with somebody and I say, I'm interested, I, you know, I, I see you have skills, I think, I think you've got great qualities, I want to put those to use, or I see that you can play a role in the ministry at this level, what that means is... And you can begin to describe it based on the way you've defined each level. But here you're saying, okay, so volunteers, they, they execute the plan on a, uh, on a ministry team. Team leaders, they're facilitating the process within a ministry team. So two services, I'm going to decide to go A and B week rotations. That means is there's a 
9 o'clock parking team and 11 o'clock parking team on A week, a 9 o'clock parking team and 11 o'clock parking team on B week. So a team member is taking one service every other week. Therefore, a coordinator is the person at your location or at your church that oversees the whole area of ministry, and their primary one is to strategize. What I mean by that is, if you're not careful and your overall guest experience, you're the one thinking, man, what's the best way to get cars in here quick? What's the best way to seat people so they're not spread out all the way to the back of the room? Because it really dissipates the energy in the room, right? You know, so, so you got, you're thinking about that in all six of those areas when in fact you need coordinators who are at work on their lunchtime, they're taking aerial maps of your layout, they're putting where the cones are, and they're coming and they're saying, here's what I think you should do versus us coming and saying, this is what often happens, we bring the how down. Here's how it should look in the parking lot. Here's how it should look in the auditorium. Here's how it should look in kids. And then what do you think comes up? They said, why? Why would we do it that way? Why would we not let people choose where to sit? Why would we not uh, just let them park wherever they want? Instead, we've got to flip that. And we've got to say, here, here's the why. Here's why creating great, engaging environments is important. Here's why building momentum from the parking lot into the auditorium sets people up to respond to the gospel. And what they begin to do is they begin to push up the how. Here's how we can do that. It's a complete paradigm shift, but because we've defined what leaders do at each level, they begin to understand, this is my lane, because this is the level of leadership in which I operate at. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Let's All right. Number five. Number five, drum roll, please. Fill from the top down. Fill from the top down. I think this is the most counterintuitive one. Typically, it's like, um, you know, going back here, like if I, it's not back there. Um, going, we usually reach to the lowest level of leadership to try to fill those spots. Why do we do that? Because they're easier to find, meaning the lower the level of leadership in a person, there's more of, it's a mathematical issue, you know, like level five leaders in here, there's probably less than there is four. So first step is there's more people and there's also, guess what? There's more slots to fill, right. meaning you have more greeters than you do greeter leaders. You have more greeter leaders than you do greeter uh, guest services coordinators, right? So, and been there, done that. It's like, I need to fill because I have 20 spots to fill. I need to start filling those and then I'll fill like we do. You know, you pour water in and the water comes up from the bottom. In an organizational structure and from a leadership perspective, you have to flip that and say you really have to build from the top down, meaning... If it starts with me and there's four coordinators, if I'm a director, let's say I'm just picking levels here. If I'm a director and there's four coordinators underneath me and then there's under them, there's four team leaders. So that's kind of the structure. I'm going to fill a coordinator position because if I fill a coordinator position right below me, that person can immediately start having a much bigger effect. They can fill out two or three slots below them and start recruiting, training, doing whatever. We've got a slide to kind of show you oh, just great. the effects or something like that. Great. That's exactly what you explained. Wait a Good job, man. I'm good at this. Because that's what you have. So if I'm a director, I'm responsible for four coordinators. And those four coordinators are responsible for four team leaders. That's the way to film from the top down. But you also realize, oh yeah, Sunday comes every Sunday, guys. We can't. Something is going to have to drop for a season. Because what you're doing is you're strengthening the foundation. Even though we say top-down, it really is a foundation of leaders leading up, right? So 
I'm saying I'm building a foundation of leaders that are then, then going to find, recruit, train, develop the team leaders underneath them. And they may have a plus one. They may step in and lead a team the nine o'clock on both A and B week until they find somebody to replace them. Again, all these principles trickle down versus over here, I'm responsible for 16 team leaders. So my mind is in four different areas of ministry. It becomes exhausting. And what ends up happening is you don't even have the margin to identify, recruit, train, and place coordinators. So you begin to be in this vicious cycle of constantly doing versus developing. Right? Um, there's one other thing I wanted to say about that. Go ahead. I'll hand it back to you. Just, no, I think, like I said, I think that's the most... Um, one of the most difficult ones. It's the one that feels counterintuitive. Um, you know, it's like start, build a foundation, start from the bottom, you know, like everything you hear just kind of in general principles is to start the other direction. But I think my experience has been, you know, once I start hiring the, the lowest level, there begins to be enough of them that they start asking me enough questions, needing enough direction. I never can pull myself out of it. And my excuse to whoever I'm leading for is like, I don't have time to hire a court, you know? So I think that's a, that's a huge one. And I've um, been a part of a campus launch, large campus launch where had a great number of leaders, but we started from the bottom up and it's like, it, and it's like over the next year, we'll fill the next level. And it's just, it eats your lunch. It's just, is it's a mathematical and physical Right. Challenge. So there's a logistical challenge too. Here's, here's what I was thinking. If if I'm leading 16, I, let's just say I build this team of four, and then I hand it off to somebody. Those four people are committed to who? Me, because I recruited them, I developed them, I trained them, I built relationship with them. So therefore, what you're going to see, no matter what, most of the time, is you're going to see a turnover in that team over time because they have a different leadership style. They have, so I'd rather invest in the four that I want to do ministry with long-term and then let them build their team that they're going to do ministry with for the long world, long haul too. It's so. a great point. Nothing worse than getting up. I mean, it's great to get a great team, but it's still, Not we typically build out a team that, what was the first point? You know, build it around who you are. So everybody's going to come in and have kind of, you don't want to make it so specific. Somebody's going to have to take your whole team out if they took your, your team over. But it's going to be built around who we are, so I, I think that's great. Um, and you can empower people. Are we in the Q and A lane now? We did it. Forty minutes. Pretty good. Questions and answers. All right. So I think we have a microphone that's going to be going around with our amazing host here. Yeah, can you guys uh, speak to some of the challenges about uh, restructuring the leadership group that the people already in place? Yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, well, let me ask you this. What challenges have you had? Let's answer like a real specific, you know, give me kind of a scenario and we'll speak to the scenario. Don't, have, don't use names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm part of a church team. We've been, we've been going on for about six years now. Yeah. Um, we kind of all came to the team and saying, hey, we want you to join the team and be part of this church plant and we'll figure out the rules along the way. Right. Um, that's kind of how we've done it from the beginning. And within that, we've kind of adapted and and I've changed from, oh, I'm this guy now, oh, I'm this guy now, I'm this guy now. And so, uh, so now I'm more the executive guy uh, trying to restructure things. And that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. It's like, how can we really now we're in more of a 
you're sick, we need more sustainable, yeah. foundational kind of organization. Um, you know, and we have some people that are high capacity leaders but that may not be only me. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and I'll let Philip fill in the, the details here, but I think for me, what I, the answer right here is saying is, I see it like you've got this chessboard and you've got this chess game going and you've changed it and had different strategies. You got to take all the pieces off the board, right? Which are the people and they're super important, but you got to like put them over. If we had a whiteboard, it's like, let's list all the people over here outside of it's just a list of names and you know we know who they are and what they're what they've proven their capabilities and their culture and, and their competencies to be and then let's design the org chart that fits for where we're at where we're going all the principles we talked about so now you've got the you've got the new org chart up there and then we took you know our exercise okay like the this box don't start with the person and go where does this where can we fit this person Start with that box and say, okay, this box, who do we have that would be great at that role, has the right level of leadership, is in the right lane? And basically, you're going to end up with most of your pieces back on the board in the right spots, and you're going to end up with a few that you typically we make great personal arguments why we love them, they're awesome, but you know, and we're just trying to go like, let's find a spot so because I love them and I don't, I want them to be a part of this or whatever. And then those are the tough things you got to wrestle through and say, is this about me and me not wanting to go, go through the pain of having that conversation. And the best question to ask yourself on that is like, the paradigm to shift and think about is, do you want to continue to keep this, uh, be responsible for keeping this person from being at God's best for their life? Right. Because if they are, Everybody has a place to be great, right? There is a place for everybody. God doesn't, you know, it's not like musical chairs. He built enough chairs for everybody. And we tend to keep people because we feel bad about talking to them about it. And it is a horrendous conversation. It can be great, but it's like it just never, I've never been in one that felt great. But a year or two later, you will see that person on the street that maybe for two years called your names because they were hurt and they will, and, but I almost guarantee it, 99% of them, it's like, what are you doing now? And it's like, they will light up and talk about the thing that they finally found that they're doing. Right. So don't think of it like, how do I release them? It's like, think of, am I keeping them from doing something that's going to change their life and change the kingdom? Yeah. And then the, then it flips, but that's kind of the process is right. like, and then when you get them all on the board and you filled as many slots as you can, but you still have, you're not all the way there. You have to have kind of a transition plan over the next 12 months. How are we going to, you know, kind of shift this and, and make some changes, get this person where they can be in that box. So there's kind of usually a, a before and an after and a during, you know, to get to that position. Did I explain? Yeah, that's really good. Um, just to add a few touches, like what he's saying about the conversation is the greatest compliment you can pay somebody is to tell them the truth. You know, and so by having that hard conversation is, is one is is the way to do it. I would also say there's a lot more things what not we can tell you what not to do, but don't just put the names on the board, bring the staff and roll the whiteboard in and say ta-da, you know, like be very intentional about here are the three people we need to have intentional personal conversations with and knowing that the worst that will happen or could happen is that they leave. And if we keep them in a position just to keep them 
we're not really doing us a favor, and what he says, we're not doing them a, a favor. So you're going to have some residual effects of that, but ultimately, I heard this early, is what's best for the church is best for you, and what's best for you is best for the church. And if we're united in heart and mind, that's going to be true. If we're not united in heart and mind, first church to down the street will love to have them. And we're going to be okay, hopefully, with that. With, uh, with that, when it comes to the plus ones, yeah. how bad is it if you have somebody's plus one? Like, say they're a ministry, but they're also brilliant at programming, and you don't have anybody else to do that yet. Right, right. Is, is that just way too distracting to have them doing ministry, and then just kind of plus one with some programming, helping your team out, or do they need to stay in that ministry lane even with their plus ones? I think you got to choose what's what's best over what's what's better for right now. Like ultimately, there's going to be some plus threes, plus fours. Honestly, I mean, some of you are probably running that way right now. All right, okay, not okay. Give me a, a, a couple of blinks, you know, like. But the idea is saying because we're preparing for the future in mind, I know this is your sweet spot. And what that ends up doing is that one, it releases somebody to say, I thought I had to do this because that's all, all we have. In fact, you're giving them a new paradigm of saying, I need you to develop leaders versus just do tasks. Um, so there's going to be there's going to be some of that overlap in the transition. But if after six months they're still doing that, whatever time frame you give them, you may realize they're not the leader, identifier, developer that I thought they were and need to be to be in this position over here. So therefore, they've hit their capacity for now. I actually need to find a different. Yeah, and I think this may be a thing just with me, but I feel like there is a power and an understanding in when you're in those less than ideal things. There's a difference between saying yes, we're going to do that, and if you say this is really the design meaning. That if I see that up in the boxes and I know that this is not a, just the things I'm doing, this is my real job, these are my plus ones or fours or whatever, but if I know and understand that that's what they are and it's part of the structure and I know that we're g- going a different place, then it, it's literally like I know which hat when I'm doing it I have on right. and why I do. And it, it's just different than going, well, this is less than ideal, but it works for now versus getting an understanding of it. You know, when you zoom out and go, this is really what we're doing. This is your pluses are not ideal. And you, and so when you're doing that work, you're doing it the same quality, the same energy, but you kind of know what it is. If you will, I feel like, I guess it's important to me to, and I've seen teams be in better shape and understand it because it's been defined. You can even say it's not our, it's not where we're, you know, ultimately going to be. Two quick questions, or maybe not quick questions, two questions. First, we'll try to do big work. First one, regarding hiring, um, and the larger you start to scale your organization, at what point um, does that person overseeing the ministry involved in hiring? Uh, and then, uh, in, in light of that question, what, how do you feel about subcontracting, say for like programming or media, you know, in terms of where, where would that fall? on an org chart. And then the, the second question is, could you give a nutshell of what Focus 412 does? Oh. Um, just to maybe help me understand better what your organization Give me just the very beginning of the very beginning of the first one again. Uh, in, in terms of hiring, so like, like you know, when the organization is small, the lead pastors does it all, then as you grow, you know, uh, is, it, 
when you're executive, executive level, level, and then we kind of have a decision on that. We've used organizations, you know, right. Amanda Bloom and Slingshot, and almost every time it's, it's failed us just culturally. We're in the Northwest and yeah. haven't found these organizations to um, understand the culture as well as they claim. So um, should that team leader or, you know, the director, the pastor, um, be involved heavily in that hiring? Or I saw HR, you know, this was, I think, on uh, point three, you know, um, yeah. is yeah. where I'm asking that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of schools that thought about that. I think, you know, my lean on that one is that, you know, the number one thing that we're set to do, it's why we call it Focus 412. 412 is for Ephesians 412, equipping the saints for works of service. So, like, our number one job is to raise up leaders, whether it's, you know, like if we're by ourselves and we don't have a single person on the on the paid team, we're still developing volunteer leaders to carry weight and take things. And I think the absence of that is what gets us in a place where we have to reach out and, you know, hire somebody, which is, you know, it's not immoral or legal, or it's just not the best thing to, to do. Um, and sometimes God can work magic in that and have somebody that comes on board and falls in love with the church and it, it all works out. But, but it's that we're in a purpose-driven, not to sound cliche, but like we're in a purpose-driven world so that somebody has to be tied to the purpose before they go in. So I think... Um, but I think when it comes to technical things, especially, obviously, you know, you there's certain things need to get done. So like contracting, subcontracting, I don't think that's bad at all. I think that's part of the modern world is like, um, you know, there's things we do where we say we never want to be great at that. So we're going to have somebody do that for us. But it's usually a, a tech, you know, somebody to do videos is different than somebody to to run your ministry, you know, the, the ministry side. So I think that's a d- differentiator for yeah. me. I mean, I think as much as within your control to have those subcontractors or um, if you're stipend out certain things, still, still to submit to your processes, your systems, your culture, the more they're going to do that, the more alignment you get, the more momentum you're going to build there as well. Um, and then creating very clear, like on a weekend, if we have an audio, he needs to know who he's responding, like who is directly over him on a weekend that oftentimes like do your thing or do our thing and then there's that tension between worship guy and audio and production and you know so just by knowing the very clear fine lines of who's who's responsible for what I think is is helpful I would invite people in and it's a trust time and trust helps you determine who at what level is able to help you make the decision on, on hiring so the closer I get to Phil, the more I can capture his heart and culture, help define our culture. Therefore, I become a really good filter for who could fit within our culture. And then also, ultimately, they're gonna, if they're going to report to me, I don't know if it's a 60-40, we haven't really talked about it, but is it a 60-40, is it a 70-30, the decision is on me. But ultimately, I know if he says, you make that hire, guess who gets to do the fire if in six months, nine months, they don't work out? I love those conversations, right? So, so that's part of the ownership is that I may stick my neck out in a season and say, I know you don't feel it. The it factor, I feel it, and give, give me this one. And, and I'll pay the consequences if it doesn't work out. If it does work out, if there's no I told you so, it's just we're all like, yeah. all right. And I think if you have to reach out, and all of us have to sometimes, and you know, hire somebody from an external place, meaning they're not a son or daughter of the house, I think the, and this is a different app session, but I would just say it, 
the safest way to do that is to make sure that you have mission, vision, values, and standards that are very clear for your organization, no matter whether it's a one-person church or a, if you have those things, then that serves as the um, bumpers, the guidelines that people can quickly come in, they can quickly assimilate, they can, you know, half the time we're correcting them and doing things like it feels like you're a ping pong ball because you're coming in trying to figure it out. It's like, don't do that, don't do that. And it's like it takes you three years of getting beat up to figure out what right is. So I think having those things tight can at least prevent bad things from happening with the hire that right. has to come in and fall in love with your church. Rapid fire. Let's do it. Is somebody... Oh, we'll, we'll close with that. Yeah, it's like All we right. don't like to talk about ourselves. Do you want to ask more questions? Sure. I mean, well, as many as we can get in. Okay, regarding Phil from the top down, all of the departments that I oversee, I've done that with the exception of one. Mm. I do not have a qualified director for that, so that's the nine plus one. But I do have my coordinators in place. Do I then take a look at my coordinators and figure out which one is the lesser of two evils and go up, or do I wait for my director? That's good. Great question. That's, that is a good question. Go ahead and go to the uh, org chart on slide number four. Maybe that'll help us because I do want to talk about multi-site before we finish. So you're saying your director, let's just say your over operations, and one of those is empty, but you have coordinators underneath them that could possibly step up. I would say if I have four really great, I'm going to take a flyer on one. And it's going to be my pet project. I may spend more time with that, let's just say, data person over the next six months because these other four are operating pretty well. Um, the other, that, but that's a confidence thing. I've got margin. I can maybe develop that. Four coordinators, but none that would qualify for a director. Oh, none that would qualify for a director. Right at what they do. Right. I think you have to size it. To me, I would be, and this is way high level, but I would draw an imaginary line to say what is the minimum level that is um, productive and safe that would be that I could take a chance on somebody. If you say, hey, I've worked with these people and none of them, you know, they're all at their God-given leadership lid. They still have some room, but it's never going to be this because I, um, you know, at this point showing their effort and ability, then I think don't, you can't fill that slot with somebody you know is never going to make it. So you kind of draw an imaginary, like, this is my minimum standard for right now, and then is there somebody I could take a chance on? But you don't want to fill that slot up because then you can't, yeah, take it back. It's a great question. Great question. We'll get you, we'll get you too. <laughs> hey, quick question. You, you made kind of like a passing comment, I think with point number four, that the most important slots uh, in your work chart don't necessarily need to be at the top of your org chart. I just feel like there, there might be something you kind of found. I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit uh, so we can understand that. <laughs> you said it, man. You said it. Take it. Profound, man. I think... <laughs> well, it's pretty great. Oh, oh, that road track. Yes, okay. So, I was thinking leaders. I was like, no, I think you want your best leaders at the top. Um, what I mean by growth track, and this is just really, really quick. Growth track, again, if you're running the, the play, you're saying, okay, groups, weekends, uh, growth track, dream team, those are all really, really important. We don't see the word dream team on there. This is, again, this is opinion. We love the Church of Highland. We really reinforce a lot of what they do. But saying dream team actually functions across the board. So it becomes a little confusing that there's a dream team section that really what dream team section aligns with is this guest experience. They're all the front-facing experience teams. Uh, but to bump uh, growth track up, growth track is a process 
that we put in place and it's repeated every month. It's not something that is like, you're not redoing the strategy of growth track every six months. You're maybe tweaking it once a year. And so really you're putting a team in place. You, you may have a team that does week one and week three and a team that does week two and week four. And then you've got a coordinator over those team leaders. And the processes are all designed and put in place. Therefore, to elevate that doesn't necessarily make sense if you align it with the levels of leadership. A director oversees coordinators of multiple areas of ministry. Coordinators oversee team leaders of multiple teams. Team leaders oversee a team for a service. So when you overlay growth track to that, it doesn't make sense that it would be that high up when... when Depending on the scale, like if, again, going back to great church, my church, Church of the Highlands, uh, like if you have 50,000 people coming on the weekends, then being in charge of growth track might be a lead staff position because, you know, it's like it's, the numbers are insane, but so it's a scale, really a scaling issue. If you're smaller, you really don't need somebody assigned to that specific process from a central level. It's executed by everybody and updated by everybody every year when there's new ideas about how to do it better. And to, 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 so, again, uh, just so that we know with multi-site, the only time you go wide is if you go multiple locations. These three arm begin to establish the strategy for how you, uh, it's, it's your central. And then the third arm becomes campus development, location development, you can call it expansion, whatever you want. And then campus pastors report underneath that. And then campus pastors, again, the model of the campus, you, try, you, you build it deep, but then you fill as you phase reflects a combination of both your ministry teams and your worship and production. But they're making the strategy that's getting exported to the locations. We could do a whole other talk on, on that or we can ask questions afterwards about what that looks like. But that's the only time that you would say, hey, I know why, unless what Phil was mentioning, at some point, maybe we're producing worship albums. We're having you know worship tours. You might pull worship out or worship and production out because the scope of what they're doing is so vast that it, it makes sense that right. somebody at the lead level is hanging on And again, that begins to be a part of who you are and how you're designed and the vision that God gave for you and your church. So, last one. This question is more like a little bit kind of outside of the scope. It's in the scope, but it's a little different. So what about if the pastor is basically the new hire? Mm. And the whole team is just trash, so to speak. <laughs> this is for a friend of yours? <laughs> right, okay. So, so the whole team is really just not that great, and the whole system is totally uh, not any good. Um, at, at what point, you can't get rid of everybody at the same time, so who would you start to release and let go as you start to put your system in place and make things happen? the way you see the vision of that particular church going. Yeah. I think you take the, the first of all, I would never start, like if I was going to be, let's say I'm a, an elder and I'm gonna, we're going to be hiring a new lead pastor and there's a team there, I would always lean towards like leave everything in place, have somebody come in that's a great leader, has great vision, understands what where the church and the community is, loves God, and put them in that position and let them do the, because they may, you know, I've seen it time and time again, they may see somebody who we think isn't, you know, that just isn't the right place. or whatever. So you don't want to try to get it all ready for them because then it's like, you've already built my team for me. You might have let somebody go that I could have developed because just who I am and how I work. So I think 
that's first. And then the next step is really, it's kind of back to what we said uh, before. It's the same process of saying, who are we trying to serve? What does our, st- our structure look like? And we're going to kind of start over again, if you will. Some people might call it, you know, reapplying. I don't like this term, but, you know, like everybody's going to be replaced into a different position. And then one by one, we assess people and, and uh, make those decisions, I think. I don't think you can make any wholesale decisions. I've been a part of that before. I can speak a little bit to it just because I've been um, not part of the government, but part of a large um, corporation here in the United States. And it's like I know I was part of a lead team of a division. And it's like the leadership above that changed over and there was, quote, unquote, a regime change. And it's like, you know, a bunch of people got cleared off. And it's like... To wholesale do that, there are some people, you know, if you see it with with presidents coming in, they keep people from the previous staff, some people do, and it's like, it's an individual by individual thing. Does that make, I don't know if that answered it, but yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. So I think we're done, right? So tell yeah. us about you guys. I want to know, in a nutshell, can you... What? Oh. Elevator finish. Yeah, so um, Focus 412 just is, um, you know... Our mission is to help churches grow. That's it, plain and simple. And we work at the organizational level. We help with people, culture, systems, and structure. Those are the things that have to be right in an organization and healthy, when I say right, so healthy things grow. So that's that's really it in a nutshell. We have a team and we do these um, partnerships where we work with churches kind of a year at a time. There's a lot of on-site work and we go through Basically, this would be kind of a section of a very small part, but an important part of a process. We start at mission, vision, values, and go all the way through systems, structures, down into strategies, and build out what's best for your church. It's about who you are and what's the best strategy for you after you've built the systems that will support what you're trying to do. Yep. We're, our, our values our values drive what we do. We're coaches, we're not consultants. So our whole idea is we believe everything you need is already in you. We're going to help you pull it out. We go deep, obviously. We want to be the great, like all the way down, full context, help you understand um, what you do versus this is the other one. We do your thing, not our thing. Or we're not trying to create focused churches around. Like we want your church to be the, the very best your church can be. And then we work relationally. So that's why the year-long process is an in-depth process. We do both online for smaller churches and on site for, for larger churches. Um, so. Yeah, and I'm just blessed to have a great team and um, that's uh, willing to do whatever it takes to make it all work. So I appreciate everybody coming out and listening and grinding it through. I know this was one that, uh, um, this was like um, a you know roll up your sleeve session. It's not the, the most colorful process. Uh, Topic, but I think it's one of the most critical and important. So appreciate you guys recognizing. We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming Art Conference, visit artconference.com.